It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, August 21st, 2016. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Check out the show all the time, MetsMorizedOnline.com. You can check it out on iTunes, in the store, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, wherever you get Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast needs. I'm probably there, so... Go out and have a ball and hope you enjoy listening to the program. A little bit earlier today, it's actually a breakfast, maybe bagels and baseball, bagels and bets baseball, maybe we'll call this edition of uh, of the program. I'll probably actually do the next two earlier in the Sunday. Tonight, obviously, because the Mets are playing the Giants at 8 o'clock, and, and also I think at this point, I don't think it's uh, uh, unfair to say, I'm not sure the content changes much because of the Mets game now. Mets are not out of it, but as I had said uh, just a week earlier, this was a road trip that was the beginning of the end. I mean, they were they were teetering after the last homestand, the Mets, how disappointing they were. And, um, you know, they haven't disappointed on this road trip from my prediction as they lost two out of three to Arizona. They've lost two out of three to the Giants and, and really bad losses in terms of bullpen breakdowns. The pitching has been awful on the road trip. Uh, you know, they got Cespedes back, but, you know, other than yesterday, you know, they really haven't shown you that they're the Mets team that you expected this year. Um, so they got a game tonight. I mean, they're still relatively in it. They picked up a half game of the Cardinals. But when you really look at it, and let me pull up the wild card standings here, um, you know, this is pretty much playing out the string. And I, I fear this because now it makes the podcast challenging, but I have some things for you today that I think are interesting and and things to talk about. So, yeah, going into tonight's game, uh, as of now, as of uh, almost 10 o'clock here on on Sunday morning, August 21st, Mets are 61 and 62. When you're under 500, I don't take you seriously as a contender. you got to be at least 500 to be considered a contender. They're four and a half games out. They're five in the loss column behind St. Louis. They're behind Pittsburgh and Miami, two and a half behind Pittsburgh, three games behind Miami, um, four actually behind Pittsburgh in the loss column. They're closer to Colorado and Philadelphia then they actually are probably to my uh, yeah to definitely to Miami and St. Louis and uh, you know they're only seven games ahead or eight games ahead of teams like Cincinnati Milwaukee I mean teams that just had no aspirations going into this season uh, joining me in a little bit uh, guest that's been on the program before uh, a friend of the show uh, James Flippin uh, W O R James is the producer over there for the Mets baseball for the uh, the Sports Zone you hear him with uh, Sal Licata or Pete McCarthy. At J A M A Drop on uh, Twitter, he's been involved with the Artie Lang Show. If you used to listen to that, Garden State Radio. So uh, James has done a lot. A huge Mets fan, definitely one of the more negative Mets fans. He was on earlier in the season. What better time to bring him on than in the midst of all this chaos? And maybe he could, maybe he'll surprise us and give us a ray of sunshine. So uh, he'll join us in just a little bit. But you know, just this one, there's some programming notes. It will be a little earlier in the day. It will be before the Sunday game. I don't think it really matters much. I try to get this content out so it doesn't get too stale. But right now, I think we're playing out the stretch here. Who knows? I mean, if you listen to Terry Collins after yesterday's performance, they're uh, they're hoping that the Cespedes return to the lineup is going to be what they need to get through the rest of the season. But that'll be one of the things I talk about. But I want to start is but two or three things I want to get to before we get to James. And the first thing, and this is interesting because it was brought up on Twitter, and I really hate, especially in this age of a lot of millennials on Twitter, and I know you guys listen, but you guys drive me nuts, even though I'm not that much older. And depending on when you start that millennial threshold, some people have thrown me in there. I'm going to be 40 years old in January. I don't 
consider myself a millennial. But when I look and and I see this season and and I see people you know ask the question, is this the most disappointing Mets season to date in Mets history? It's interesting, and a lot of times you want to just dismiss it. I remember a while back, Sports Illustrated back in the 90s. They still do it today. It's always the best ever. Is Greg Maddox the best pitcher ever? Is Barry Bonds the best hitter ever? Is the, you know, the best – everything is the best ever because they, they whoever writes it has about a 10-year window, and maybe within a 10-year window, the best ever. But – excuse me on that. But um, you, you got to put it in the context of a sport that's been around 100 years. Now, the Mets have been around since 1962. I thought about that, and I said, okay, I haven't watched baseball. I haven't, I'm not like a Greg Prince or Steve Keen who was watching this team back in the 60s and 70s, but I have a pretty good understanding of Mets history and could put things in context. So I said to myself, let's think about this. If you put the partition of Mets history of that 86 championship, pre-86, post-86, and you say to yourself, anything pre-86 – can it really be a disappointment because they were so bad? They won the championship in 69. Anything before 69 is a wash. They were bad. I'm not sure the mindset of the fan base in 70 and 71 because the Mets didn't repeat, and they lost to teams like uh, – you know there was teams like the Pirates and, and the Cardinals and really good teams in the National League. Uh, the Cubs, I know that, 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 that was a surprise in 69. So this wasn't like the Mets were – even with the pitching, even with Seaver and Kuzman and, and, and later on Matt Luck, it wasn't like they were the prohibitive favorites – in the National League. So you can't really say with those disappointments. Not sure, but I'll, I'll put it in with my knowledge of just looking at it from afar. The 70s was a, a terrible decade for the Mets, so there's nothing to be disappointed about. Uh, and then you get into the 80s and the rebuilding program. And sure, maybe if you were a Mets fan, 84, or especially 85, losing out to the Cardinals, were disappointments. But when I talk about disappointments, going into a season, expecting so much, and coming away with such little, such little, uh, uh, Results, so little results, and here you are on August 21st, just a, a week and a half or so, two weeks away from expanded rosters. The Mets are under 500. Now, you could say, Mike, well, do you obviously remember the worst team money could buy in 1992? Yeah, I do. By this time, it was pretty disastrous, and I remember being disappointed, but I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure coming off of losing 91, even though there was a lot of expectations with the free agencies that it feels the same as this team. And then you could talk about 2001, 2002. Uh, you could talk about Generation K and that 96 team. But that was a young team that, even though they talked about being the next Braves, quote-unquote, again, best ever, there, there you go. I'm not sure that that was a disappointment. This is disappointing because coming into this season, knowing you had Cespedes on a one-year deal, knowing you had this really good core of pitchers that were young, and you're in this, the midst of this window, uh, looking at some of the surrounding veterans, uh, Conforto, a young hitter, guys like Walker and Duda and, 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 and Cabrera and, and, and Darno maybe taking the next step. You thought Granderson would provide you some pr leadership and presence as well as on base and, and power. And to come away with such bad baseball at times from basically May 1st on, I mean the only month really the Mets showed you what you wanted them to be in 2016 was April. And that's when they were playing slow-pitch softball out there, scoring you know, 60, 60, 65% of their runs off of a home run. And I remember having that conversation, guys, this, this bothers me, and you all went nuts. 
because um, I didn't feel the, the, the offense was balanced. And I talked about this last week, how they're, they're, they're below league average in walks. They're the bottom of the league in runs. Uh, everyone keeps saying, well, the pitching is top three in world baseball. That's true. But th- now that broke down because eventually those guys were going to have a bad stretch. All pitching staffs have a bad stretch. You can't win 2-1, 3-2, 3-1 every night. You got to do what you did last night or yesterday afternoon and win 8-5-9-5. Last year during that stretch, from August 1st to the end of the year, Mets had plenty of games against the Phillies, against the Rockies. Come to mind where they had a win slugfest, 13-9, whatever it may be. Because the pitching didn't have it. DeGrom, who had a bad outing on Friday, he has had bad outings before. As much as I want to throw platitudes, and a week ago I'm saying he's the guy I want to put the ball in his hands in a big spot, comparing him to David Cohn, he's going to have bad outings. And he had one on Friday, which is unfortunate because this is the time of the year you don't want him to have that. But Law of Averages says it's going to happen. So, you know, I'm just thinking about it. I can't think, you know, this doesn't feel like 2001, 2002. Those were disappointments. This feels like this was a golden, golden, golden opportunity. This was a well-built team. I know that, that you know those disagree, but the pitching is there. The bullpen is there. And I'm like, even the offense, which you could make the whole argument they, they maybe didn't go out and get certain players. People have brought up Murphy all year, Denard Spann, who you're watching this weekend in, in, in San Francisco. Maybe he was a kind of hitter you, you would look for, but... A lot of this had to do with, with Conforto and Darno, I think. Having those bats in the lineup, not feeling like, and maybe more so Conforto, you needed to go out. You felt comfortable letting Murphy go because Conforto was going to be every bit and then more of Daniel Murphy. So I'm not sure that everyone's going to agree with me here, but this very well to me, and it's not over yet, but this is heading down a path where this team might finish under 500. Now you're going to cite the schedule. But this team has not shown you the ability to play anywhere better than 500 baseball in any given month. So this is about a 500 team, maybe less. And that leads me to my second point. In this year where I'm deeming it the most disappointing Mets team in history, leaving us wanting more than any other team, this team came into spring training, unlike the Cubs, who after the last out, after getting swept last October, basically was thinking and talking championship here in 2016 and going out and making sure that they put the pieces together, as well as the mindset to win a championship. This team talked about the rhetoric of, well, look, we could be like the Royals, get back and win it. But they never felt like this has been the focus since the last out of the Game 5 of the World Series, where that World Series, they blew it. They gave it away. The manager blew it. The manager had a bad series. The team blew it. They played poorly. They played tight at times. They should have won that. They could have won that in four or five, easily been reversed with some quality bullpen decisions and some key hits and some fielding plays. I mean, that's every World Series, but you know where I'm going with that. So I'm sitting here listening, and even I love Kevin Kern. He's been on the show. I've, had, I've talked to him for years. He's a friend of the program. He has a, I have a ton of respect for his writing. He's one. I don't go and just jump on all the, the columnists in this town. You got Kernan, you got Vaguero, and you got Sherman. Other than that, I'll, I'll pick and choose and go somewhere. Maybe Harper occasionally, John Harper, Daily News. But those three are the guys I always read what they have to say, and I respect what they have to say. But even Kevin Kernan defending Terry Collins. Now, I agree with the column that he wrote on Friday. Hey, Mets, don't blame Terry Collins for this mess. But I'm not going to make this all about Collins again because you guys have heard this, this shtick from me for a couple of weeks now and earlier in the season, which I, I went lighter on it because it was tough because I, I wanted to give him a chance. And Kernan is correct. When an organization goes and has the most disappointing season in their history, which this is headed towards, 
it's a failure from top to bottom. It's a failure on the front office. It's a failure on, on the coaching staff. It's a failure on the manager. It's a failure on the players. But you have to look and say, where can we influence change outside of making player changes for 2017? Because there's still a lot of good things about this organization. I mean, you look at guys like Seth Lugo and Josh Smoker, who are guys that were brought up this, uh, this week and may have some impact. I mean, these are guys who are or – one is a 34th-round pick in Seth Lugo – who might be a good swingman for this team to have. Like I told you, you're going to need eight to ten pitchers every year, no matter how good your staff is. These are the kind of guys you need at a low cost so that you don't have to go out and spend millions on veteran starters. Uh, you know, Smoker was a first-round pick of the Nationals. They took him out of the Frontier League. He might be a lefty. You could never have too many lefties to, t- to take the load off of a Blevins at times so you don't have to pitch him every game and burn him out. This front office, you know, Ruggiano's a guy. I don't. I know he had a grand slam, but... He's had good uh, uh, performances in the past. They look for those undervalued assets. They've been good in some senses of doing that. Um, you know, they were able to take Marlon Bird and turn him into uh, Jay Bruce, if you really want to talk about that. Now that Dilson Herrera was part of that deal, that was an undervalued asset. So they're able to do that. But let me let me go into the point. Everybody wants to defend Collins about the injuries and what have you, and they don't. And Kevin's like, well, you don't want to blame Terry Collins for this mess. But there are, there are quotes in this in this piece from Collins that bother me. You know, I'm not going to go back into the rant. I'm not going to go back into history where he has been awful at managing bullpen. And teams have historically, outside of that run from August 1st of last year, when, when, when uh, on the 31st, that actually I'll put 31st, the night of 31st, when Flores hit that home run to beat the Nationals all the way to Game 5 of the World Series, that was the run. That was Collins' zenith. And he made some good moves in the playoffs with leaving DeGrom in, bringing Syndergaard out of the pen. Syndergaard was kind of an obvious one, to tell you the truth on that. And I even thought at that point, hey, maybe you should, should go two with him and then put Familia for one. But he went the opposite, and, and I get that. Um, the Cubs series, he wasn't challenged. The Mets just blitzed the Cubs. So I really can't judge him from a managerial standpoint. He had a horrible World Series. So you're really looking, since 2011, when Collins took over this team, he's had a span of about 12 to 13 weeks where you can't even say it was all him. Everything came together, and he just, he just kept it together which is the least a manager can do. Um, you know, Collins talks about in this piece by, by Kernan on Friday, um, which I think we're actually probably ran Saturday, 20th yesterday. Sure, it's been frustrating, but I will tell you what, it's still fun to come here and try to get these guys to play as good as they can play. Terry, this is not a, a little engine that could team. This was not the focus this year. Now, maybe that's not what he meant by it, but I feel like he likes to go out and let every, make everybody think, well, I got this little band, this little team here, and, and uh, you know, we're going to go out. We're going to take everyone on and, and play hard and see where it goes. That's, that's crap for 2013. That's not, that's, that's, that's not what it today is about. That's not you – know, the, the stakes have been raised. He didn't raise his level when the stakes went up this year, but the stakes have been raised. And then he talks about being calculated. Yeah, we're calculated. There are decisions that we made that are calculated. And yeah, once in a while you pull a gut move. I see nothing calculated about the dugout. The bullpen management, which at times is a combination of using metrics and what you see. And I'm not an expert. I'm not in the dugout. And I know I don't know who's healthy and all the stuff that goes behind in making bullpen decisions. But there's plenty of times where I said, this guy doesn't have it. Robles comes to mind a few times. Or this calls for a left-hander. Or this calls for you know, bringing in a, a Reed rather than a Godell so to keep the game close. And, he's, and he flops on most of them. He makes a ton of bad bullpen decisions. He lacks a lot of time to feel for the game. Go back, 
Game four of the World Series. I keep saying this, guys. Ned Yost puts his closer in for two innings. Terry Collins doesn't. And then who won the series? Um, and then he goes into things with, you know, he wants them to understand that they're big leaguers. And if you're big leaguers, there's responsibility and expectation of being a big league player. And that means going out every night and prepare yourself, play the game right. That's on him. If they're not doing it, and to me, again, this team is not nine in and nine out prepared to compete to defend their pennant. And I don't know who's on the roster that's, that fall into that place, and I'm sure, I'm guessing, he's tried. Maybe he's tried it more with a, a, a kind touch. At least that's my impression because I don't feel any of his rants. Terry has historically backtracked almost everything he says. He never gets a transaction right. If he says, oh, we're not bringing Reyes up to, for a while, he comes up the next day. Uh, he backtracks on, you know, I, I still remember the Mets got blitzed by the Phillies 16 to nothing about five years ago. I think it might have been his first or second year. I think it was his first year. And he called them out for quitting. And they did. They quit. Anyone who watched the game knows they quit. And then the next day, he backtracked on that. I'm like, no, that tells the players that, that you're not serious. They can't take you seriously, and they got you. You know, that, that's, that to me is, 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 is just unacceptable. I mean, do you guys realize this team could win just about as many games as the 2014 squad? 79 and 83, you're looking at kind of like that kind of season right now. And here he is, he's talking about, you know, here on August 21st about going out and, and preparing. You haven't prepared since spring training. Why are they going to start now? That's on him. So that's fixable. There are a lot of managers. And look, if you don't want Wally Backman, that's fine. You want Bud Black? Hey, look, at least I know Bud Black pitched in this, in this game and may have an idea about how to manage a pitching staff. Because the guys that are in there now, Worthen and Collins, don't. So... To turn around and not blame or say, don't throw this on Collins, you can't throw it on Collins completely. But, guys, the quotes are right here in Kernan's article. Christy Ackert, oh, you know, Collins is saving. Everybody's making an excuse because they like him because he's probably good to sit down and have a baseball conversation with. And nobody likes to say, especially, again, and go back, a lot of young writers who are new to the business who are also trying to manage their jobs because the team has a lot more control these days in, in, in getting people in trouble or, 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 or managing their relationships. It's not a shark tank like it used to be. Nobody wants to call for someone to be fired, but this is part of, 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 of the game. How do you come back with the, what this team is headed to, a 79-81 to 81 win season? How do you come back with this coaching staff next year, even if you had an all-star team around them? They didn't prepare this year. What's going to change? What's going to change? Unless you're telling me there are certain individuals that fall into that. Finally, and this goes and ties into Collins, where this is the ultimate Hail Mary, Cespedes. So now it's Cespedes. They want him to carry the team. And if this was the NBA, I would say fine. If, if this was a quarterback in the NFL, even that. I mean, most sports other than the NBA, you need a team together. You can't have one guy. You have a bad – you know, maybe a goaltender in hockey could, could really get hot and carry a team, certainly. We've seen that with the Rangers and Lundquist. Um, you know, but, but the NBA is really the only place where you could spot in a star and a bad team becomes a contender overnight. Shaquille O'Neal and the Magic is like a perfect example of that. And then you take that player away. But even then, you still need some component players around that star. So baseball is the worst example of someone carrying a team. Can he carry an offense? I could see Cespedes carrying offense. He's a very streaky player for four to six weeks at a time. But he's also very streaky the other way. The way they managed his injury was abhorrent. I could, you know, I don't know how that went with Sandy Alderson and Terry, 
but they should have DL'd him. They had the all-star break. They could have DL'd him when he came back. Uh, they were playing teams like the Phillies. They were still pretty solid in terms of their positioning in the wild card, where they weren't too far ahead or too far behind, and you would have been fine. And now you would have had him for the important part of August, the dog days of August and September. They did the opposite. They had a gimpy Cespedes who wasn't playing well, and it hurt them on both sides of the ball, and now they're suffering for it. What's interesting is if Cespedes does carry this team, how the heck are you going to allow him to go out and walk after this year if he opts out? And I looked at his advanced metric to see, you know, what kind of year is Cespedes having? Now, from OPS Plus, he's seventh in the league. I'm just using baseball reference. He's seventh in the league in OPS Plus. So he right now has an OPS Plus after yesterday's game of 146. That's elite all-star uh, Hall of Fame level numbers. It's just interesting from a from a value standpoint, from a wins above replacement, he's 36th in the league. He's a 2.3 because he's he's valued at a negative defensively. A lot of that might have to do with center field isn't playing well for him. Probably why he hurt his quad is playing a lot of center field. That's asking a lot of somebody, and that was probably something they should have thought about when they constructed this whole thing in the off season. And that's where there is a failure in the front office. What's even interesting, and I know this doesn't really relate to Cespedes, but Murphy leads the league in OPS plus at like 161, which is huge numbers. But he's even uh, right there in the muck. I think he's right there around Cespedes in the 30s in terms of war because he's valued at a pretty bad, uh, pretty bad way defensively. And I think the Nationals are going to learn that you, you better put uh, Murphy at first or third because up the middle he's just he's not going to he's not going to play well. So. Um, you know, this is the Hail Mary, guys, hoping that they could stay in there. They got some games against the, the Cardinals left. They got games against the Marlins left. You know, the Pirates are right there. They don't play them anymore. They got a lot of teams. This is a mess. This is the muck. This is the worst-case wild-card scenario you could have played for the Mets, the worst case. And then you're asking them to play through this muck, get in as a second wild card, and then either go into San Francisco or L.A., beat a Bumgarner, or maybe beat a Clayton Kershaw, not happening. It's almost going to be fool's goal because what's going to happen if they do sneak in, they're going to get knocked out, or you guys, maybe they sneak a game and then they're not prepared to win a short series against Washington or Chicago. They're just not. And, and then Terry's going to come back where they're going to be fooled into believing that what they have is good enough, and we're back to right where we are, where now next year we're talking about the same thing. It's just not, it's not the way this thing is going to play out, but interesting stuff. I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to have James Flippin of WOR join us. Uh, in just a minute, we'll get his take on uh, some of the things I just talked about. Obviously, early edition here, breakfast and Mets baseball. That's what we'll call bagels, bre- breakfast, bagels, and Mets baseball. Maybe that'll be uh, in the offseason. Maybe we'll do some uh, Sunday morning shows. Might work out a little bit better there in terms of the schedule before NFL football. So anyway, uh, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Check me out on Twitter at Mike Silva Media and go to MetsMorizedOnline.com for the show all the time. We'll be right back. Sassman is deep center field. Spann goes back, takes a look, and it's out of here. Ioannis Cespedes with his 23rd home run of the year. Second extra base hit of the day, and this was a bomb in the mess of a 3-0 lead. Well, he got a base hit his last time up last night, his first game off the disabled list. A double his first time up today, and now he launches his 23rd home run, and Cespedes is back. Cespedes two for three on the day. And Cespedes, it's another one deep to left, an absolute bomb. Second home run of the day for Cespedes. 
his 24th of the year, and it's 8-2 New York. We're back. Talking Mets podcast here, and I'm happy to have with me a friend of the show returning. You uh, know him as producer James over at WOR, James Flippant at J-A-M-A Drop on Twitter. Uh, Artie Lang's show he's been involved with, Garden State Radio, and uh, huge Mets fan. And if you follow him on Twitter, he definitely brings it night in and night out. Now, James, before I start here, it was interesting. Our, uh, you probably follow the account Mets Police on Twitter, I'm sure. And yeah. before this road trip, this West Coast trip, he basically told everybody, take a break, go to sleep early, go out and enjoy the rest of the summer. Let's see where the Mets are at uh, when they get back home after the trip. And uh, you, it sounds like you did that because you and I, while we were prepping there before we, you came on air, you basically said, hey, <laughs> you took Mets police advice, and it's a good thing. Did you, did you enjoy your week away from the Mets to a certain degree? You know, Mike, I, I have to tell you, I absolutely did. Um, this team <laughs> has been uh, a special kind of maddening the entire season. Uh, it just seems like whenever something can go wrong, it kind of has gone wrong, certainly from an injury perspective. But, you know, just the, the situational baseball, um, you know, things that that uh, you come to count on from a team every now and then, like first and second with no outs being in a good situation to maybe score some runs, obviously that hasn't really been the case uh, for our Mets this year. And, you know, I, I thought that um, even in this whole second half, uh, past All-Star break, if you will, there's been epic fits and starts, you know, like even within games, such instances where you feel like, all right, finally we're going to, we're going to turn a uh, corner here. Um, you know, something's going to start, you know, uh, Justin Ruggiano comes off the DL and hits a grand slam and your best pitcher's on the mound and the Bumgarner's been struggling. So here we go. And of course then five runs on the, on the board, the, the next half frame for the, uh, for the Giants. It's just, it's just been a tough one, man. I mean, I, I found myself thinking yesterday um, at this point, in accordance with what Mets Police said, that account on Twitter, there, Mets Police, it's just kind of like you know, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let it play out now. I had this week off, I had this week down the shore. It was it was gorgeous, it was nice. I kind of just followed the games online. I didn't really watch anything, and here we are, just this final little bit of the season. You know, can they make something happen? They've got their horses largely back now. Of course, we know Duda and you know all this kind of stuff. Harvey and, and Wright lost for the year. So not exactly full complement, but, you know, this is a team that even with the injuries they've had, I don't think they're anywhere near as bad as they've been, if that makes any sense. So, um, and, you know, that's, that's what makes it kind of frustrating is like, you know, with all that's happened, I still think they should be better. And maybe that's coming the last little bit of the season here. Well, I'll, I'll go into where I set this up in the open. And I hate the whole best ever debates because they get so childish, and, and I blame, you know, and, and if, if I offend you here, James, forgive me. I blame all these millennials in media where they, they, they have like 10 years of experience uh, watching sports, and all of a sudden something's the best ever. And I'm at least honest. I'm like, I, I didn't watch the Mets until the mid to late 80s, and when you're young, you really can't process things for quite a long time. I process the sports and understand the sport so much better today than I did even 10 years ago, but I don't think it's unfair – and if you look at the Mets, you put 86 as the demarcation line. To me, at least my viewing of Mets baseball, I think this is going down as the most disappointing season ever. And you just basically outline why. 
Um, you could put 92 in there, 2001, 2002, of course, 07, 08, and those collapses. But this team, this, this team leaves you wanting. You're not even at some of the points that those disappointing teams were. Some of those were just bad and, and, and pretty bad pretty quickly. The 07, 08 ended badly. Um, but to me, this is disappointing on a whole new level. I don't know if you agree with that, but, but I'm, I'm feeling that right now. And I don't know if it's going to change much because I'm, I'm kind of putting them into the corner and saying – this is going to be a 79 to 81 win team, and there's going to be no playoffs. Well, I, um, to, to back to, to take it to your original point, yeah, I, I, I kind of do agree that it's the most disappointing that I can recall. And I think that disappointing is the key word there, because obviously we've seen a lot of really bad Mets teams, a lot of really bad seasons that didn't ever have any hope, that didn't ever have any promise. Um, I think back to this offseason when, you know, Pete McCarthy at WOR, who I work with, uh, said, you know, this is going to be a different season because now it's kind of like we've had that debutante. It's like, you know, now what's going to happen at the dance? You know what I mean? Like we had that season where we didn't expect anything. Um, not to say that we didn't expect anything last year. I certainly did. You know, I thought wild card, playoff contention, the pitching staff, the whole thing. But the offense was, was definitely going to be – you know, meager, mediocre, whatever it was that, you know, things started to come together, the trade deadline, we know what happened. So this year, you felt like the pitching's a year older. They had that playoff run last year. Um, the bullpen's pretty well-rounded. You know, you, you picked up some, some key guys up the middle to play defense. I mean, it, it just felt like a team that was going to win anywhere from 90 to 95 games. And for a for a situation – uh, as a Mets fan, where you just don't go into many situations, you don't go into many seasons feeling that way. You just don't get, go into a lot of seasons thinking, you know what, this is a pretty good team we're going to roll with. And, you know, the injuries, of course, and that's something that you don't necessarily count on, but it's just been so um, disappointing. I mean, that word is just so key, Mike, because, you know, Conforto comes out in April and he's hitting like gangbusters, and here's our guy first-round pick, going to be our left fielder for the next 10 years. The guy's a run producer. He's a good kid. He's everything. And then he falls off a cliff. Um, you know, Harvey charges back from the Tommy John stuff last year. You know, has, has all that, that concern over the innings limit thing. Blows right through that. You know, almost becomes this cult hero type thing with that Game 5 in, in World Series. And, and, again, in many ways kind of is. He falls off the map with his injuries and stuff. Um you know, all the little nagging ones that have happened. Uh, even a guy like Duda, who I'm not even necessarily a huge fan of, is an on-base machine and an isolated power and the kind of thing that you need when your team goes through struggling periods scoring sure. runs. Um, you know, Darno looked like he was finally turning a corner last year. No idea what happened to him. Honestly, no idea. No idea what happened to him. So um, it's just been a series of, uh, of struggles. And... Um, you know, I would say, and I asked my dad this, I said, Dad, don't you think, because you know, I was down there with him for vacation this week, I said, don't you think this is the most disappointing Mets season? Like, honestly, almost almost ever, like kind of like what you said. And, you know, he's he's been following the team for a pretty long time, you know, grew up as a as a New York Giant fan and, you know, kind of had left baseball for a little while, came back, was, was a big Mets fan and has been since. Um, I think he struggled to refute that because I think that the, the way that the season set up, having won the pennant last year, thinking that, you know, the division was absolutely in reach, um, not, not even discussing really what Daniel Murphy's been able to do for the division rival, sure. which, is certainly, which is certainly a subplot of it, even though we've kind of been able to forget it 
at least for a little while now. Um, it, it definitely ranks up there for me. Uh, you know, I, I think that 2007 was a special kind of pain, one that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, and and it was um, not quite ripping a band-aid, you but are, it was a lot I wish I was this. doing podcasts. You know, I, my buddy Howard Megdell, who's written many books now, he and I, that's when I started in doing radio and what have you. We used to do a, a nightly podcast down the stretch there, and I got to tell you, I mean, listen, I was rough. Maybe I'm still rough, people would say, but I was pretty rough back then, and the technology was pretty rough, so – it's not, I mean, they're good listens depending on the, the level of professionalism maybe you want, but <laughs> I got to tell you something, James. I wish, I wish you uh, 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 were there because you would have been interesting in the middle of those games because um, uh, I know we're kind of getting off track here, but I think it's interesting because, I mean, it got to the point where I'm quoting um, the dude in Wall Street talking about going into the abyss. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to figure yeah. out where, you know, where, where to go and uh, – I'll tell you what, the time I knew this thing wasn't happening in 07, I still remember it. I was out uh, uh, at a business event uh, at a uh, hotel. I'm curious, I'm curious to know how, I'm curious to hear your answer to this because I know exactly what I'm going to tell you when I thought this. I, it was so contrasting. Uh, it was the Philip Umber game when they blew that yep. lead against the Nationals. And I remember 100%. there was a split screen. I was in Jersey, so it was more towards South Jersey. And there was a screen with the Phillies game, and then there was the Met game. And Shea Stadium was uh, uh, basically a, a mausoleum, and I see the energy at, at, at Citizens Bank, and I'm like, oh, man, this isn't happening. Like that was when I yeah. knew that this wasn't happening, but, but I digress. You know, it brings me to this point, and I love Kevin Kernan, and I know he's been on OR, and he's, he's a friend of, of this show, and uh, I, I, he's one of the must-reads that I, I, I always try to catch as soon as possible when a column comes out. But, you know, he's falling into the same trap, I think, that the beat writers are falling into. And even your buddy Joe Kersey, I hear him on, on OR. You know, I know he loves Collins, but – and I'm not saying it's Collins' fault this entire season. This is an organizational failure on many fronts. But how can you, when you look – and I'm looking, I'm on baseball reference as we speak. I look at the bullpen. This is a solid bullpen, even without Harvey. And I know that Matts and, and Syndergaard have had some bone spurs. This is a damn good rotation by today's standards as well. Any standards of any era. Um, the offense has been disappointing, uh, certainly. But even with the offense being disappointing, I just feel he's done a bad job. And there's no reason why this team should be 61 and 62. Should they be challenging the Nats? Probably not. They've had a lot of challenges yeah. with that. But right. I don't think they should be four games behind the Pirates. I don't think they should be five games with the Cardinals. They certainly shouldn't be, be behind the Marlins. And I sit there some nights, and I just say to myself, I know I'm not in the dugout. I know I'm not, I'm not talking to these guys how they feel in the bullpen. But damn, you know what? If I manage some of these bullpens like this guy did, and I, you know, if I unprepared for a show or had a staff that didn't prepare for their show, you know, you were part of the Artie Lang program to the level I see this team unprepared from day one in spring training, I certainly would expect to be fired. I could probably manage this team better in Stratomatic than uh, – than uh, than Collins has. Like, no, no, I know I'm oversimplifying it. But, no, um, no, I, no. What? Listen, I I totally yeah, agree I with you, know. man. I mean, I I just I I think that when you said what you said a few minutes ago about the rotation, okay, you're talking about a rotation that at this point still features Jacob Degrom, who the other night, notwithstanding, is is one of the top pitchers in the game. You know, we make an argument, top five, whole thing. Um, Cindergard and Matts, you know, we know what their 
potential is. We know what their talent is. We've seen them put it together. You know, I think Syndergaard kind of, and, and Matt's to a certain extent as well, but especially Syndergaard has to be included in some of those disappointments this year. And, you know, Bartolo Colon, other than the one stinker he throws out there every six starts or something like that, is is an extremely proven and durable mid-rotation guy. So you're talking about, you know, four pitchers right there that are above average. And when you have that, just put that on the shelf. Just put that in the vacuum. Four pitchers above average. And then you say that number again, those two numbers, 61 and 62. Right. Unacceptable. And, right. yeah, there's a lot of reasons why that's happened, and there's a lot of different factors, and there's a lot of different injuries, and there's all this kind of stuff, and I get that. But if you really want to take it from, like, a macro perspective and look at a baseball season for what it is, back in all the different times he's done, you know, and I'm talking about Collins here, and, I, and I've been very clear on Twitter how I feel about the guy. I don't think he's doing a very good job as a manager, and I don't think it's just the in-and-out, day-in, day-out decisions. I don't like his decisions. I think he's been challenged in the past as, a, as an in-game manager, and I think that um, that's definitely part of it. But the biggest thing is that I just don't think he's had this team right all season. And what I mean by that, Mike, is I think back to early April, okay, and they had a series against the Phillies at home. There's that team again. And, um, you know, Friday night, I actually went to the game. It was freezing. Bartolo Colon pitched against Velasquez. Um, Velasquez basically dominated. Ryan Howard had a two, two-run opposite homer to um, secure the win for the, for the uh, Phillies. And it was like, you know, two to, win, two to one, I think, was the final score. And, you know, the team had been just kind of listless. And they really weren't hitting yet. And, you know, things were. But it was freezing out. It was April. You know, whatever. And then Sunday, Collins pulled after they were about to get sweep. It would have been a sweep. Collins pulls out all the stops. He went through his bullpen. You know, he, he pushed all his buttons, everything he could to try to get that win against the Phillies on Sunday, who had started out pretty well, you'll remember. And he called it a must-win in the post-game presser. And, you know, listen, you made reference to it, Mike. You're not in the locker room. You're not coaching with these guys every day. You don't fly with these guys, whatever. Neither do I. But I can't imagine – that him just saying that one time in a press conference like that is the only, only inclination of desperation, um, uh, you know, supreme focus on wins and losses basically every day, supreme focus on situations. This is the kind of stuff that doesn't do well with, with baseball teams. You know, Joe Madden talks about how he just tries to coach his team up to be, you know, as good as they possibly can be any given day, Focus on it's cliche. It's cliche as hell. We know that. But I mean, there's a reason that a guy like that has his team in the right mindset throughout the 162. And when you look at the way this team has struggled with runners in scoring position, and yet they're one of the like top 10 offenses when it comes to situations where they don't have runners on base, that's pretty remarkable. That that's pretty mm-hmm. stark. And you could say that at this point it's just bad luck and it's just coincidence and it's just whatever. But and, and you know some of these guys like as Dribble Cabrera and some of these other names definitely have not for whatever reason hit with runners in scoring position in the past. But you know it, it's just it's odd to me that that particular situation would so rack a team that I think is probably and and has been even if they're not willing to admit it and if it and if it's a subconscious thing, tight as a drum. They're tight as a drum, and it didn't have to be that way. They got to the World Series last year in many ways 
exceeding expectations. That that NLDS last year, that Dodger series, probably my most favorite Mets series ever in my life. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, that that was basically, and, I, and it's not because I want to see them win a World Series, but that was as close to winning a World Series as I've ever seen my team do, was winning that five-game series, two out of, four out of the five games against Frankie and, and uh, Kershaw. So, you know, there's, this should have been a, a positive season where you're just trying to play as good baseball as you possibly can. If it ends up being a wild card, it ends up being a wild card. The Nationals are very good. We know that. We know they have a lot of talent. Their pitching is not too damn bad either. So sure. I just don't like the mindset. I don't like the tone. I think that his, his – and we're talking about Collins again. You know, his, his games have been managed in many ways with some of that desperation. You know, I think back to Familia pitching the day, day game after a night game when he'd thrown like 30 pitches and Collins said he wasn't available. And, you know, um, the indecision with that fifth starter spot, you know, deciding not to, to, to go with Verrett and then you go with Verrett. And, and, again, some of these things are very nitpicky because teams have to go through those types of decisions. But I just don't like the way the process has played out. I don't think that there's been much of a field general in that dugout most nights. No, I agree. By the way, we have James Flippin, W-O-R, uh, J-A-M-A Drop on Twitter, at J-A-M-A Drop on Twitter. No doubt. Um, and here's the, the big thing, and, and I, I would not know if anyone's ever going to bring it up. And obviously, it can't be bring up, brought up today necessarily because you got to play out the last six weeks or so. But how do you come back next year? Because the expectations aren't going to go away. I know, look, the media is going to pile on the Mets. They're going to get all giddy over a small sample size of what's going on with the Yankees. And, and the Mets are going to be the failed uh, you know, one-year wonder. I mean, there's still a lot here. I mean, these pitchers aren't going anywhere unless they trade them. Uh, we know injuries could happen. The bullpen, you got Reed and Familia another year together. Um, there's guys in here that, that you could that are not going to cost a lot. They should be able to bring back. You can clean up the offense, and we'll get to that in a minute because that's the third component here I talked about. But how can you come back as a reasonable uh, front office executive and and go pump, come back with Collins in spring training after how this season looks like it's going to play out? I think it's going to be hard. Is he going to change? Are things going to be different? How How do you fix this as a manager when he's been here Five plus years. Think about this, James. He's his tenure now is in the territory of Bobby Valentine and Davey Johnson. And yeah. I can tell you, those guys accomplished a hell of a lot more. I know Collins went to World Series, but you're looking at 13 weeks of good baseball. Where other than the Dodgers series, where you give him some credit, he made some gutsy moves. The Cubs series was basically they they took the Cubs by by the head and they Same they ball. drowned them. They drowned yeah. them. And there was mm-hmm. wasn't much managing there. And he botched the World Series. Game four is the example of why he's a bad manager. Ned Yost yeah. p- pitches his closer two innings. Um, uh, Collins does it. And on top of it, I mean, the excuses started in spring training where, well, you know, we had the long postseason to recover from. Well, guess what? You're not going to have that next year. So is that the, is that the uh, you, you take every other year? Is, is that what you're telling me? I mean, it's just, to me, the, the Cubs, from the minute they lost that NLCS, were talking championship thinking championship going forward with wherever their moves were was about championship during the nineties with the Knicks, even though they didn't win every year, talking championship, thinking championship, even when you look at that team on paper, well, it's going to be tough. They talked it and they were more successful than they probably should have been. This team just talked about, well, let's stay healthy. Let's see what happens. That's not what this is about anymore. That's 2013 garbage. That's my well, point. We're actually, yeah, like see, I don't know. It, 
there's there's a lot to unpack there, and, and I think that in some ways um, there are two different schools of thought there. You know what I mean? Like I I think it's interesting that you talked about how the Cubs and LCS they get trounced, then they're shifting into okay, how do we win that championship mode? And 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 in some ways you're you're absolutely right. You know they go out, they spend the big money for Jason Hay uh, for Hayward. You know obviously that that hasn't worked out. They spend the the uh, pretty decent money when it comes to a guy like Lackey, and obviously decent money when it comes to a guy like Zobrist. Championship players that the offseason was focused on. And the Mets, you know, tried their damnedest to get Zobras, so let's not, you know, discount that, at least, you know, from what we understand. But the manager, you know, Madden, and and his daily approach, because I remember when, when, when the Mets went in there to, to play them, and this was when the whole narrative was a little bit, oh, you know, the, the Mets have the Cubs number uh, type thing. You know, Joe Madden said, basically, you know, this isn't a special series for us. This is another series on the schedule. And right. we're trying to play the best baseball we can in any given day. So I think what you're talking about there is the organization as a whole with the Cubs is desperate for that championship, investing in that championship, doing everything they can, and then at the same time being able to totally entrust that that product they put together will be well-coached and well-managed. So, yeah, I think there's a few different – layers here to the onion. And I think the Mets, um, you know, this, this off season, whether it was just a uh, misinterpretation of what they had in the kind of offensive profile Daniel Murphy represents, or whether it was strictly financial, um, whether or not, you know, they look at it this next off season, like, okay, you know, we're, we're not going to focus as much on, you know, the, the, the different aspects of, of how to build this roster as much as, we have the guys in place now and is the manager the focus, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fascinating. I, I don't know, you know, Terry, uh, Sandy Alderson's a pretty good poker player, and he doesn't really give much indication if he's, if he's angry at Collins. You know, they've always had a pretty good working relationship, I think, behind the scenes. Here's one thing I'll say, and it's not to punt on the issue of whether or not I think they'll get rid of him because I, I think it's going to be um, a tough decision uh, because he's got his supporters and his, and his detractors in the, in the organizational ranks. When it comes to Collins, I think a little bit about Tom Coughlin. And, you know, Tom Coughlin was a guy who always made the smart challenges, you know, w w would go for it on, on, on fourth and an inch and say, you know, get up in there and let's, let's get this play. And, you know, was a fiery guy on the sideline and everything. Then last year, I didn't see the same guy in Tom Coughlin. I saw more tentative decisions. And we're, we're talking about a different sport. You know, football coaches matter more than, than managers really, and I get that, and we're not trying to totally muddy the picture here. My point is to say I do think sometimes, and this is just to be real, this is just to try and be fair, I do think sometimes age is a factor. And I think a lot of what I've seen from Terry Collins this year is just a guy who's tired, man is a guy who is a little bit frazzled, is a guy who's a little bit worn thin by having gone through this building process where he was a coach and player, player uh, development executive that basically wore the jersey in the, in the dugout. And then all of a sudden, bam, like you said, 13 months, and it's, it's right back into, okay, now you're basically managing a team that has expectations. Yeah, and big, I don't know if it was kind of like too much of a shock on the system to go through that, but he looks tired. And I don't think that you can go through another season 
wondering if your if your guy is kind of up for the job in that way. And I don't, I don't mean I'm not trying to put Terry Collins uh, in bubble wrap. I just mean to say that this is tough. It, it's a lot of travel. It, it's it's a daily grind from from the mental perspective. You know, he, he, he's he's one of the older managers in the game now. I think there's a reason why you know some of these teams are going with the younger guys, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's purely based on you know energy or or youth experience or whatever, but, you know, maybe the game has passed him by a little bit as well. We know how much the bullpen management matters now. He does struggle with that at times. I just, I think that the jury is very fairly out right now, and um, it's a lot of different reasons why. It's not just this season, but this season has to play into it very heavily, and yeah, I mean, I I think they're going to think long and hard. I don't think it's it's a done deal. Um, only because I, I just I don't think Sandy Alderson is, a, is an extremely reactionary guy in that sense. It just seems like a really loyal, um, you know, build the organization brick by brick type guy. I don't think he likes the notion of, of making one person a scapegoat. But, I mean, you know, he's got some things to answer for also. And we all know the manager is typically the first guy to take the fall. So, yeah, it it's, uh, doesn't look too good for him right now, I don't think. Last uh, piece of what I talked about in the open and get your take. So, Collins talked about Cespedes carrying this team for the final six weeks. Now, I know he carried them to a certain degree last year, but that was a team effort to get into the mm-hmm. postseason. There was a lot of things that went on. He was a big part of it. This is in the mm-hmm. NBA. You know, you can't just carry somebody uh, to the postseason to a championship. But I do think what's interesting is that we all assume Cespedes is going to opt out. And I was trying to assess his value. Now, I think in terms of this team, this lineup, the kind of uh, power – and, and big-time uh, uh, streaks he goes on. When you look at it, forget the numbers and the analytics for a second. I know it's risky when he opts out or giving him a five-year deal or what have you, uh, right-handed hitter, he's, you know, who knows how old he is, he's from Cuba, blah, blah, blah. Um, you, you really have a hard time with having this guy walk. Now, you look at it offensively, you look at OPS+, plus. he's a top-10 uh, player out there. Uh, defensively, when you add in, then, add it in and you look at his wins above replacement, He's a, he's a top 50 player, but he's nothing special. Now, I think a lot of that had to do with they misjudged his ability to play center field a demanding position. I think that had everything to do with him breaking down a little bit. But how can you now look at next year's team, put Cespedes in left, you've got Bruce, unless you let him walk, which I don't know why they would do that after they gave up a prospect for him. Now you've got center field. So Granderson has probably got to go. I don't know if you can make him go because there's no room for him unless you want him to be your Deaza next year. Or Conforto needs to go in terms of a trade, or you think Conforto is going to have to earn a spot, maybe spend another year at AAA. Or you got to put Conforto in center, which I'm not sure that's what he's built for. It's interesting because the decision of Cespedes for five years is going to have a ripple effect here. It's going to have a ripple effect on Conforto and, and potentially other decisions they make offensively, you know, Walker, um, things like that, I, I don't know. I mean, it's in a, in a vacuum, you got to bring Cespedes back because he's that kind of uh, hub, that kind of dynamic player, the A-Rod, so to speak, for lack of a better word, for the Mets here. But um, I don't know. I don't know if he wants to come back now that he's had this kind of you know experience second year. He seems like a guy that's kind of fly by the seat of your pants type of guy. And can you invest in him? And if you do invest in him, that might mean that you got to move on from Conforto. And and you're selling him on a, on where he's got lower value right now. Well, 
I mean, to me, I think that this is a situation where the team definitely needs to make some trades involving outfielders in the offseason. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, Mike. I think that um, Conforto, I'm sorry, Granderson, to me, basically has to be a guy where if if you can get him out of here by eating 80 to 90% of the contract, fine. If not, you got to release him. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. As much as I loved Granderson last year, and as much as he was the MVP of the, of the team last year, in my opinion, he really was from a position from a position player standpoint. I I just I can't roll with that potential albatross on my roster next year when he was this bad this year. And let's be honest, man, he's been really 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 bad. His defense is not good. He's got okay range, but his arm is terrible. He plays right field, obviously. Um, you know, his his speed has diminished a little bit. Yeah, his power is still okay. I got a crappy arm. In a big he, spot. he throws like I throw, man. I mean, tell you, if I play yeah. domestic baseball, I, I could probably get a single here or there maybe if I uh, get the fastball. But, you know, outfield, forget it. I could catch the ball, but forget it. They'd be running all over the planet with me. They, I, no, but, but the arm throws like me. It's a, it's a significant problem, man. And, I mean, obviously there's no designated hitter, and you really wouldn't, you wouldn't profile at that spot anyway per se, but – you know, the, the guy is a complete liability, and, and I hate to say it, because from everything you hear and everything you see, he's an extremely nice guy, gives back to the game, great ambassador for the game, has always said the right thing, plays hard, uh, just just isn't getting it done. And, you know, he's not, he's not a spring chicken anymore, and you kind of had to know when you signed into that deal that potentially the last two years were going to be a problem. And it looks like right now that may in fact be the case. Now, the Mets are loathe to eat those numbers, and I get it, and it, and it is a pretty significant uh, tag that he's got on there next year, I think. Um, I don't even know exactly what it is, if it's $12 million or, you know, something like that. Maybe it's more, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think Granderson has to be a guy that you look to move. Um, I think potentially even Jay Bruce, man. I, I think Jay Bruce is a guy that, that, that potentially has to get moved because what you're talking about is a very clunky situation where it's a ton of corner outfielders, there's some that are uh, a little younger, like a, like a guy like Ligaris, obviously more of a center fielder, but Conforto, obviously, still very young, really high upside. Um, Cespedes is obviously going to play every day if you're able to bring him back. And to connect it to that point, I think you have to bring him back. I, I just can't imagine not bringing Cespedes back. And if he opts out, then it's going to put you in a sticky situation because you're looking at, you know, another three, four-year deal, whatever it may be, and you're getting into his mid-30s. But this is a guy that represents the type of hitter, and you, you mentioned the numbers, the, the OPS plus, the, the lung creation, all that kind of stuff. He represents the kind of hitter that just too often the Mets don't have in their lineup. And you got to have one of those guys. It's not to say that it's basketball. It's not to say that it's, it's just one guy's going to totally carry you down the stretch, as, as Collins alluded to, and maybe he will. But you've got to have that kind of dynamic hitter. It just changes things. It changes things. It, it, it changed things for the late 90s Mets when they brought in Mike Piazza. Um, you know, it changed things for that, for that fringy 04-05 club when, when, uh, when Carlos Delgado uh, came in. And obviously Beltran was a huge part of that as well, but you get my point. Um, right. You've got to have those dynamic hitters in the middle part of the order. It's too difficult to try to piece it together with a bunch of guys who are just okay. And for a team that has designed on getting back to the playoffs and, and maybe finally, you know, reaching that pinnacle and, and, and winning a World Series, 
you're just going to be back come July 30th, twiddling your thumbs and saying, okay, how do we get a Cespedes this time? And, right. you know, if, if it's purely a money thing, if it's purely a year's thing, it's going to put Sandy Alderson in a spot that he's not comfortable with, I'm sure, and maybe the Will Ponds as well when it comes to uh, Cespedes potentially opting out. But I think you have to bring him back. And I think that that means that you have Cespedes and left. Um, ideally, for me, to be honest with you, because I think that although Conforto's arm is not extremely strong, pretty accurate, I play Conforto and right. And then, you know, Ligaris in uh, center. Hopefully, he, hopefully he's recovered from his from his thumb. In, in a good and, lineup, Ligaris is like Ray Ardonia's. You could, you could carry him. I mean, he's a better hitter than Ray Ardonia's was, but that's how I yeah, look at him. Yeah, I mean, he's, listen, he's, he's never going to hit 300. He's not going to be a guy who, who consistently you feel good about against right-handers. But, you know, he, he socks lefties pretty good. He's got some decent speed. You know, he's a guy that can profile as a, as a bottom part of the order hitter for sure. And, again, to, to me, the, the stickiest things are – then, okay, fine, what are you doing with Granderson? Not going to be easy. And, you know, Jay Bruce, you're going to trade him. Um, maybe that's not the ideal situation because you still had some room on the rose with Adilson Herrera who you traded him for. But, you know, uh, Bruce is a, is a proven slutter. He's only going to be 30 years old next year. He's under contract one more year for $13 million. That's That's got to be, you know, that's got to be something um, that, that can find some uh, – some value now. Of course, the the Mets can actually buy Bruce out. I think for like a, a two million yeah, or a million or something like that. Make a lot of money. That would that would be awkward. Yeah. Hey, yeah, hey, that would James, be weird. I, I can't see I can't see why you do that. You know what I mean? Like in other words, I think that I don't think he's he's only thirty years old. He's got that power potential. He, he's got a profile as, as a solid hitter, um, good arm in right field. There's there's got to be a market for a Jay Bruce even on that one year deal. And and again, you got to adjust your value accordingly. You know, don't go out there and expect to get you know, two top prospects, three top prospects for him, but, you know, maybe a, a bullpen piece or something. You know, uh, I, I think that it's interesting in that Jay Bruce and Lucas Duda, who's of a similar age and a similar contract profile, maybe they're both trade tar- targets for the Mets this year. That's not, that's not a bad point. Hey, James, what do you got coming up other than the fact that the Mets are going to win tonight, pull you back in, and then break your heart next week in St. Louis? Well, other than that, what do you have coming up? You know, Mike, they always do seem to do that, man, and that's that's what makes them the Mets, and that's what makes it uncanny to be a Mets fan. It's it's um it's a special kind of thing, and uh, you know, uh, working with the team and everything, I don't I don't get much reprieve except for this little vacation that I had. But you know, I'll be I'll be working the games uh, Monday through Friday, as I usually do these these last forty. Um, you know, I've got my podcast on RadioMisfits.com, FlippingOutRadio.com. If you want to check that out. Um, I'll be doing a new episode today, and uh, I don't do a whole lot of Mets stuff on there. You know, every now and then I'll kind of break out the, like, woe is me, you know, um, depressed Mets fan angle, uh, just because it can kind of be so- somewhat funny and, and schadenfreudistic for some people to listen to. But, um, you know, I'll be doing some stuff on there and, uh, you know, just kind of enjoying the the final days of summer. I'm really much more of a summer guy, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't really – I don't do as well in the cold weather, so – I'm holding on to the summer while also kind of counting down the days of the Mets season. Like, okay, guys, you can end, and I can enjoy, like, what's left of the back end of the summer and the fall. Um, but, no, to be honest with you, uh, it, it's, it's a lot more of the same, different radio stuff going on, and uh, always the Mets. All right. Well, listen, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Always uh, enjoy having you on. I, I promised you 15 minutes. We got way more than that, so 
Uh, go out, enjoy the summer. <laughs> you'll and, have to, uh, you'll always... have to cut it down. You you can cut it down, nah, and then you can, nah, you can make the podcast, full version. Man. Nah, this is a podcast. This is going out raw and unedited. You can go uh, pass it around to I McCarthy, like Kersey, Makata. They all listen. I enjoy yeah, because yeah. I listen. I enjoy listening tell... to you guys there. Um, Thanks, buddy. And I enjoy listening to you guys talk about fantasy football the other day. You weren't there, but apparently McCarthy's got a a league where the commissioner quits and comes back, and and uh, the drama of fantasy football was a topic on the show last week. You know, so, uh, I, I've heard I've heard him mention that league a few times. There is a lot of drama there. I, I you know I, I'm in two <laughs> different fantasy football leagues. There's no there's no drama. It's it's fun. It's basic. I, I don't know what he's talking about. Enough drama. Enough drama uh, covering that baseball. <laughs> All right, enjoy your Sunday, man. We'll uh, we'll talk. Thanks, again. Mike. Ready? Thanks for having me, man. Good to talk to you. All right, James Flippin uh, at J A M A Drop on Twitter, uh, Flippin Out Radio. Check him out, producer for W O R for Mets games. Hey, quick break. Wrapping up right after this. Syndergaard hits one deep to right field. That goes Tomas near the wall. It's out of here. Hey Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Talking Mets podcast, Mike Silva here at Mike Silva Media. Check us out at MetsBronzeOnline.com. Want to thank everybody for joining us today. Uh, great conversation with James Flippin, and definitely check out the WOR uh, pre-game uh, show in the Sports Zone when they uh, either have a day off the Mets or a late game. Sal does a great job. Uh, Pete gets some great guests, and they have some fun there. So I know it's not WFAN. I know we're, we're the institution of WFAN, and we're so used to still thinking about the Mets as a WFAN franchise, but they haven't been. For a couple of years now, so uh, interesting stuff uh, coming out of there. So definitely check it out. I want to thank, of course, I want to thank um, James Flippin for spending some time with us uh, today. You can check him out once again at J A M A Drop on uh, Twitter. Of course, I want to thank all of you for listening. Check out the show on MetsmorizeOnline.com and check me out on Twitter at Mike Silver Media. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy the game. Enjoy what you got. A nice summer day, hopefully, today. If it's warm, stay out. And uh, I'll be back next Sunday uh, morning. Take care, everybody. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Head for the park.